Hello and welcome to the Global Cosmetics News Podcast. Today we'll be talking about clean beauty and first it's my pleasure to introduce our panellists. We have Amajit Sahota, founder and president at Ecovia Intelligence, Dominika Minarovic, co-founder at Bybee Beauty, Dr. Miriam Benahood, Technical Director at Caracol, and Tina Hedges, Founder, CEO at Lolly Beauty. Welcome, everybody. Hello. Hello. Last time we touched upon clean beauty, it was clear that um, the market is driven by concerns over ingredient safety primarily. Um, and with that in mind, has the current COVID-19 pandemic accelerated our focus on health? Would Amajit like to start us off? I, I think definitely so. You know, it's been uh, three months since the pandemic started and some of the data that we've seen and we've collected, it shows that um, consumers are becoming more and more aware of their health and general well-being. And uh, the indicators are that not just clean beauty, but natural cosmetics and organic products, demand is all increasing. And one of the big drivers is really personal immunity. Consumers are now more and more concerned about their health, especially during this pandemic, that um, they're taking more supplements, they're eating more organic foods. Um, a report I just saw yesterday, uh, organic food sales in the USA increased 20% uh, during the spring, directly because of the pandemic. And some of the research we've done in the Nordic market for natural personal care products, demand has actually increased for many brands because consumers are looking at more and more natural products, health products, as they want to increase their health or look after their health, and they want to build up their personal immunity, whether it's food, personal care products, or even things like hand sanitizers, making sure that they cleanse properly, but also using more cream for their, you know, for their skin, and for their health and well-being. So we've definitely seen an increase uh, since the pandemic has started. And Dominica? Yeah, I, I would echo that. I think from our customers, um, they're hugely concerned about their personal well-being and health. So, you know, a lot more questions around ingredients um, when certain products are safe to use. Um, we also launched a hand sanitizer um, during this kind of pandemic period, which, you know, is very much in line with our, com you know, our brand and product ethos. Um, you know, we're a skincare brand, so we made sure that the hand sanitizer was in line. Um, and still reflected our high quality formulation. But I think that product has really resonated with customers and even not just from a hand perspective, but cleaning brushes, um, using you know things like hand sanitizer more in personal care routines more widely, I think has become super relevant. Um, and then in the wider market, I think the demand for vegan, um, more natural and clean ingredients um, has, has definitely um, been kind of propelled further by the pandemic. People are just really conscious about where things come from. They want to know exactly the provenance of things, how far it's traveled, how many hands it's been through. Um, and then also, yeah, just gearing and, and pivoting more towards the natural market, which, you know, obviously we play in. So, um, yeah, I would echo everything that's been said so far. Miriam, anything to add? I would say that uh, one of the consequences of this pandemic was the uh, awareness of um, risk factors and uh, some of aggravating factors. And so health um, in general uh, has been um, um, a big question. General health, so yeah, the population general health 
Um, so, for instance, obesity was uh, um, highlighted as one of the key problems or key aggravating factors. So this has a consequence on the food supply, on what people buy and want to eat, and of course, ingredient supplies and uh, products that uh, they will uh, prioritize. Um, so that's, that's all questions that are really important for our industry. Um, and in my opinion, the, 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 the main problem or the main question will be how we guarantee sourcing and ingredient sourcing of high quality uh, where we can have a good traceability of the product. And Tina? You know, what's really fascinating and going back to um, a few points that some of our my other panelists um, brought up is I think the whole pandemic made people become more conscious of two things. One is you are what you eat. I would um, walk to the corner around from my house in New York City and there's a health food store and about a month into the pandemic before like everything went um, completely into lockdown, the line outside the health food store was three blocks long, literally. And you would go in and all of a sudden you would see signs and it would say like, you know, sold out of zinc, sold out of elderberry syrup, sold out of colloidal silver, sold, sold out of vitamin D3. Like all of a sudden people started to really think about um, in, in a very holistic way of what are powerful ingredients from nature that actually make a difference to boost your immune system, right? So people really start to get conscious of this. On top of that, you know, the whole pandemic made people realize also you are your weakest link. And so if you're immune compromised in any way, then you really need to bolster that. And one is one of the ways that we compromise our immune system is slathering on all these toxic chemicals and synthetics and endocrine disruptors. And I mean, when you think about that, right? So the combination has definitely made an impact on this, you know, it is important not to just be natural, but to be clean. And there was always a debate and we debated that, you know, many months ago on, on this podcast, but you know, what is clean beauty versus natural beauty, right? And I think that this has really helped shed a light on, on that concept. And I don't think people are going to walk away from it. You know, I think that um, there's a, a general consciousness um, I wish it was a consciousness that went to our environment in the same way because it really breaks my heart when you walk the streets of New York and you see all these plastic gloves and masks on the street and you're just thinking about how much single-use plastic is, is, is getting added to the environment right now. But I definitely think at least we're moving in the right direction in terms of holistic health and wellness and how beauty plays a role in that. So are we saying that clean has in fact become so such a sort of basic concept that ingredients should be safe, that clean beauty is itself as a category is mutating sort of almost back to its roots, so it's becoming wellness and self-care. Um, do you think that it's reverting? That question to Dominica. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the definition of clean 
is constantly evolving um, because we're learning new information and and ultimately this is a um, consumer trend so it's driven by what the consumers need um, you know we didn't make this up um, outside it was driven by people being concerned about what was in their personal care products um, or not necessarily concerned but just wanting to have that understanding and that transparency um, so you know for us clean beauty has morphed much more into a sustainability conversation clean for us means how clean are those ingredients in terms of the hands that have produced them, the transport by which they have come. Um, and that for us is the conversation. Um, and it, that kind of got a little bit sidetracked during the pandemic where the, the focus shifted back quite swiftly to um, the ingredients and, and your general health. So I think, yeah, it's, it's an evolving trend, but I think that what clean beauty stems from is a desire to you know, take care of yourself, your well-being, um, and I don't think that will ever change. And I think socially and um, environmentally, that also fits into that wider trend. You know, taking care of yourself also means taking care of your environmental surroundings, um, and therefore, you know, behaving in a responsible way. Um, so I think it will—it's here to stay as a as a trend or as a movement. Um, you know, whether you disagree with um, the provenance of it around, you know, demonizing certain ingredients, I think you know, no one can deny that it's um, a consumer driven trend that, um, you know, has a relevance in this market, particularly in a post pandemic era. Marion? Yes. So uh, first time I heard about clean beauty, I was very surprised because the European regulation actually protects, protects um, the, the consumer and uh, gives a lot of the advice for the to the industry to do products that are safe. So the toxicity of the chemicals or the ingredients didn't make any sense at this point. And it's good that the definition of clean beauty is evolving because um, now we are incorporating sustainability and ethical uh, factors. And I think this is really, really key for at least the European market. Um, so the consumers are aware of um, the fact that our market is regulated and is uh, controlled. You need to do testing, you need a PIF uh, file before putting any product on the market. These, the, most consumers know that now and uh, is how we can now give them more information about where are the ingredients coming from and the story behind the ingredients and why this product is unique uh, when, 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 when it's put on the market. So that's how, how I see the clean beauty uh, conversation evolving, at least in, in, in Europe. And Tina, from a US perspective, do you think greater if, if greater regulation comes in, that will be the same conversation? No, I'm very um, uh, conflicted about regulation um, because there's always conflicting interests in regulation and lobbying. And certain things can be um, deemed, you know, outside of the regulation that actually are very powerful and good. And um, you know, I just hesitate a little bit on that. I think it's I'm, I'm not sure how to do that in the right way. Let's just put it that way, um, and make sure that it's not the ingredient suppliers with a lot of money who have a lot of um, ways to lobby that their ingredients get passed as good and um, innovative, and I'll, I'll use an example, you know, we, um, we work with a farm, four generation farm in France that the, um, the father, the owner of the farm 
um, was the one who basically discovered and created edible organic plum oil that's upcycled from the kernel of the plum. Now, in the kernel of the plum, if you eat a kernel and you eat too many, there's arsenic, right? But in the processing of this, when they cold press it, some there's some reason the arsenic doesn't get translated. So it's actually very pure. It's totally fine. It's a gourmet edible organic oil. He had to work about eight years ago with the government of France to get it approved as a food grade organic ingredient. Now, if this was regulated, maybe that would never have come to the market. So I, I feel like there's, I'm, I'm just not sure how to do that in the right way and make sure that um, vetted interests aren't um, swaying the marketplace in a way that innovations and um, smaller uh, purveyors and growers and farmers and things that are bringing truly interesting upcycled ingredients to the marketplace don't get sort of pushed out. Amajit? For me, I want to look at it in terms of a historical perspective. Um, this whole trend of clean beauty, it's, um, you can say it's a, it's a mirror trend from what's already happened in the food industry. In the food industry, we've already been very concerned about the pesticides, about synthetic chemicals, synthetic colors, additives in our food. And this trend in the, in the personal care industry is relatively new. It's only started to say last five years or last 10 years. And uh, but if you look in the food industry, the organic food market in the 1990s, it was less than a billion dollars. Today, it's worth 105 billion US dollars worldwide, and it continues to grow. So if we look at consumers, we're more concerned about what we eat first, then it's what we put on our skin, then it's our environment. So I, th I think this is only the beginning of this trend. And uh, another trend which is very similar to this in the food industry is not just organic foods where we avoid synthetics, but it's the free from trend in the food industry which was started off with dairy alternatives, free from dairy, free from uh, lactose, and also meat free. And this whole plant-based food movement has become very big. Um, Sales of dairy products, sales of milk in most countries in Europe and in USA are actually in decline, whereas plant-based milk, oat, uh, soya, almond, etc., is all on the rise. This is a huge category. And we're seeing that development happening here in clean beauty as well. So it's partly free from, but using more plant-based ingredients in the formulations. So I still think we're at the beginning of that trend. We're still quite a way behind. We've got a quite a long way to go. And even in the food industry, we're still seeing huge growth, whether it's organic foods or plant-based foods. So I think we've, you know, the, the trend is going to be very positive. And what about um, how stay-at-home orders have increased um, consumer behaviours? So, for example, a desire to cocoon in our own homes, um, beauty rituals, beauty as a self-care ritual. Can clean beauty meet that need? Um, can, can its scope um, cover more than pure health, for example? Let's start with Marion. So one of the issues, I believe, with cocooning is you miss all the stimulations. So the, the wind, the cold, the smells, uh, the pollution. So that's a good thing. Um, and so we need, uh, with our products, to be able to uh, stimulate all these senses, uh, physical or uh, 
yeah, most of them are physical, to be honest, uh, senses that uh, we will have less opportunities to, to, to stimulate. And so this is, I believe, where our products will come. Um, and what was interesting is during the very short period of the pandemic where people locked down fully, um, most consumers probably noticed that their skin were more healthy because they were less aggressed by pollution and weathering. And so hopefully these, um, um, this observation will encourage them to realize how important it is to have a healthy skin or healthy hair and to maintain these, these uh, routines to uh, maintain the, the health of the skin or the hair, for instance. Tina? I think our brands um, definitely address that spanning of health, wellness, and self-care. However, and as I will talk about this as uh, my own personal experience as an example, you know, in this sheltering at home, I, I'm a, a single uh, woman. I don't have anyone. I live by myself in a studio apartment in New York. And many, many years ago, I read a statistic that said, if you don't get eight hugs a day, you're emotionally imbalanced. And one of the beautiful things about self-care prior to the pandemic, right, was the experience of being touched and um, treated like if you went for a facial or you went for a massage or you went with your friends in a group to do something with self-care. There's, there's something about that human connection and touch that I, I am thinking, how does clean beauty brands address that because you know that is such an important part of our emotional well-being and i think the impact and you can see it in the streets of new york right now people have a hairline anger they're so ready to they're so volatile they're like little volcanoes because i think emotionally we're not balanced we're dealing with so much fear so much uncertainty and there's only so far a topical experience can go. So I think that what's really interesting is how do we start taking care of everyone's soul and spirit, not just their skin or their hair? That is interesting and neatly brings me to my next question because do you think our need to feel calm and collected and have a sensorial element in our products is, is going to become more important, um, if not overtake efficacy claims, at least um, be on a par with them. Amajit, do you want to start us off? Well, going back to the previous question about the trend about cocooning and uh, self-care, I just wanted to add some point to that. What we've seen is consumers are becoming more and more aware of health and well-being, and what we're seeing is more and more demand for natural ingredients. For example, we've seen quite a few, we spoke to quite a few aloe vera companies who said they were totally sold out, but it wasn't just the demand from the businesses but from consumers. Consumers were buying aloe vera and they were making their own hand sanitizers at home. So we're seeing a lot more self-care where consumers are buying more essential oils, aloe vera gel, they're buying ingredients and they're using more natural ingredients for basic uh, moisturizing or hand sanitizing, etc. And um, a related trend to that as well, the whole conventional cosmetics industry is expected to show a decline in uh, almost every country because of these lockdowns, because we haven't had the beauty centers, the spas, the salons, 
but also for, for consumers, for fragrances, for color cosmetics, a lot of the products which you have for a social occasion, there's no longer been a need for the last few months. So I think the natural and, and the clean beauty market has been quite resilient in the last few months compared to the conventional cosmetics industry because of that. And um, it's opened up the market to a whole group of con new consumers because you know Whole Foods market has been open. Everyone's been shopping on Amazon, they're going online and they're being exposed to a lot more brands. So I think the trend has been very positive, um, partly because of the cocooning and partly because of self-care. And that's related to also you know, what you said in terms of what consumers are looking for. I think they're looking at more in terms of personal health and well-being, how they can make themselves, well, be more control of their own health and to build up their immunity. So um, I think that's definitely becoming more important than, say, efficacy for a lot of these products at the moment. Dominica? I would hasten to kind of suggest that... Um, clean beauty and kind of wellness and mutually exclusive with efficacy though I think that we can still drive efficacy and ultimately consumers always want products that work and deliver on on their claims and and deliver on a benefit so I think it would be foolish to think that consumers would lower their expectations in terms of um, the quality and performance of a product so I think it's just shifted you know in my mind um, things like hand sanitizers and hand soaps and and people trying to make you know gentle alternatives make sense because when you're suddenly washing your hands you know every 30 seconds and using a traditional hand soap that has sulfates in it you know it is drying for the skin and I'm not saying that that sulfate is going to give you cancer but it's undoubtedly you know typical detergents and, and ingredients used in um, some you know budget personal care products are harsher on the skin so I'm not surprised that people are then pivoting away from those kind of products and therefore that would extend into wider personal care as well if you're thinking about what you're putting on your hand then you would think about okay do I actually want that ingredient in my body wash do I want it in my face wash so I think you know for new customers entering into this movement, um, whatever this movement means for individuals, whether it's a movement away from synthetic ingredients, whether it's a movement away from potentially hazardous or toxic ingredients, or whether it's a movement to health and wellness, whatever that motivation is, I think that they will still demand efficacy because otherwise the beauty industry um, is not delivering on, on what you know, what it says it will do. Um, and I think we've seen time and time again, you know, from a brand perspective, but also a consumer's perspective, they're not willing to compromise yet on things like sustainability, ingredients, price point, um, if the product doesn't deliver. Um, and I think price point as well is really key. Um, you know, it was alluded to that this segment of the market is prospering in this environment, um, which I would agree, but I would agree only for brands that deliver those products that are an accessible price point. So the, the prestige market for clean beauty, I don't imagine is doing as well as the mass or mastige market because, you know, ultimately consumers have less money to spend or if they have the same amount of money, they're just being a lot more cautious and thoughtful about where they spend those dollars. So I think the pure play kind of affordable clean brands are the ones winning at the moment um, because they deliver on that health promise, but they're also delivering it at an accessible price. 
Um, and, you know, we see retailers in the US, you know, like Target that were able to stay open, you know, Whole Foods, perfect example, you know, suddenly the selection became a lot narrower for consumers. So therefore they were more encouraged to discover, um, you know, brands potentially they hadn't considered before. Target has a massive natural section with brands like Burt's Bees that has, has always done super well. And I imagine they've picked up a lot of new customers um, in this post-pandemic period as well. Interesting. Miriam? Efficacy is key. It's key for product development. It's key before you put your product on the market. You make sure that the efficacy of the product is met. Consumers in general can um, can feel or uh, have a very good understanding of uh, if the product is what they are looking for, and uh, efficacy is the is the key key point there. Um, the fact that it will contain um, more sustainable ingredients or uh, less um, uh, synthetic ingredients um, will only matter if they get the, the, the functionality of the product. So I agree completely with Dominica in this, in this aspect. Um, and the price point is again important. And uh, this is a massive health crisis and the economical crisis might arrive very soon uh, following this uh, pandemic. So we need to uh, make sure that uh, our consumers are able to continue processing our products. And we also can continue producing these products with the same quality and um, um, in the same price range as uh, we used to do. Uh, but this will be challenged by the fact that um, the supply chain is has been disrupted. Um, the, we, there will be more scrutiny on the on the on the sourcing, so the, where the products are coming from, and all this has an impact on the price of the ingredients. And um, and I did see prices coming going up during the the, the pandemic. I did see prices multiplied by 100 for some of the ingredients. And that was uh, scary and disappointing, but it's the, you know, uh, open market um, rule, <laughs> I would say, and we need to play by these rules. But yeah, uh, that's what I would say about uh, the importance of efficacy. And Tina? It's um, a misconception that um, clean, beauty products don't have efficacy. I think that when you consider that unclean or whatever, you know, synthetic approaches to skincare, um, active ingredients are often diluted in bases of 80 to 95% water. So it kind of doesn't matter like what you're talking about. And let, let, let's use vitamin C as an example. We all know vitamin C is highly unstable when you expose it to water. And so then there's, even if it has 20% buffered vitamin C and it's encapsulated. And I mean, it's just all these chemical approaches to try to take an ingredient that is better off. You're better off taking ascorbic acid powder and adding water when you want to go use it than trying to stabilize it in a base of 95% water with lots of chemicals, fillers, synthetics. So that whole idea that the chemical approach to skincare is a more efficacious one, I would absolutely um, contradict. And by the way, and I'm sure Dominica, you've been in 
conversations with investors. You know, when I first started Lolly, I would go talk to some investors and they'd be like, this is so nice that you want to do a clean um, beauty brand, but like, you know, women want products that work. And you'd have to sit there and you'd be like telling this dude, like, you know, try it. It works like, right. You know, um, so I just don't believe that. And I think that mother nature is extremely powerful. If you look globally across um, civilizations and cultures there for thousands of years have been um, natural ingredients that are now being used by pharma to approach very serious, um, you know, diseases and conditions. Um, so, you know, that's my stance. And I think that um, taking pure ingredients and not polluting or diluting them and making sure you're delivering them in efficacious levels um, definitely will deliver results. Sure. I mean, I'm not, not for a minute suggesting that efficacy um, isn't top. What I'm saying is our consumer needs and desires changing in light of the pandemic. So are there priorities? Perhaps they're looking more for sensorial element or more to feel calm, um, collected for a mood boosting element, for example. Um, that that would be become a higher priority, say, than say pre-pandemic, where it might have been an efficacy focus still, but then um, it, they would have been looking for, for something different. So perhaps they'd sustainability would be number two. I mean, is, is clean beauty um, all about clean for everything? So can, can it pivot to a more literal meaning? So sales of bath and shower products and hand soap, for example, um, can it also be clean for the planet? Is, is it ideally placed to benefit from the pandemic? Amajit, would you like to comment first? Coming back to your last point, I think clean should not mean just clean for yourself, for your personal health. It should mean clean for the planet as well. So, and we're seeing that big shift. You know, when you talk about brands, we heard about Burt's Bees. Um, we heard about, uh, well, we haven't heard, but we talked about uh, old native ingredients, brands like Aveda, which is based on Indian ingredients on Ayurveda. And their whole concept of these businesses is not just to have clean formulations, but is to be good for the planet and good for the human health as well. So I think both of them are very much linked. And um, just to draw an example again with um, plant-based foods, if you look at the big drivers or the big reasons why consumers are going vegan and they're becoming vegetarian, you can't always split them up in terms of personal health and for the environment. Uh, what, what consumers are doing is they're realizing that meat is not always good for your health if you eat too much, but also has a very high environmental impact. And there's also ethical considerations. And the same thing we're seeing now in the beauty industry as well. So by having a clean formulation, um, you indirectly, you're doing better for the planet as well. You're using less synthetics, you're using less petroleum. And the, another big trend, which um, I think we may be talking about towards the end of this, is packaging. A lot of the clean beauty brands are moving towards sustainable packaging. So I think that both are linked. It's not just good for yourself, it's good for the planet. And we're seeing the industry moving in that direction. Dominica? Yeah, as I think I you know, said earlier, I think clean beauty is extending um, beyond skincare and moving into um, 
more general personal care just because people are you know quite literally concerned about being clean um concerned about their health and well-being so it doesn't make sense to be hyper focused on one area of your body and then for that not to extend um and then again you know coming back to the the sulfates example i think people again you know as much as we're at home and and skins could be perceived as performing or being better um you know my skin hasn't actually fed that well-being inside all the time so i think people will start to reconsider um, you know, different personal care products they're using, not just in skincare. Um, but for me, the clean beauty movement is hyper relevant because, yeah, you know, consumers are concerned about their health um, and clean beauty, you know, whether, again, you disagree with its origins or its provenance has morphed into a movement that associates itself with good health. So therefore, it's it's undeniable that people will be pivoting more towards products that market themselves as clean beauty or natural beauty because they perceive that to be better for their health. And I can't see that not extending to things like body wash um, and hand soap. You know, I know for, for a fact, because we have 100% natural hand sanitizer, people, you know, and, and we're not able to achieve price prices um, of, you know, if you go into a local pharmacy or Boots or Superdrug, you know, they're selling massive vats of, of hand sanitizer for much less than we could ever afford. But we've got extracts in there like green tea and propendile and, um, you know, lavender. And, you know, we've tried to create something that doesn't just deliver on antibacterial qualities, but also can protect um, and heal the hands. So consumers are willing to then, you know, and back to the efficacy point, you know, it's not just about the antibacterial qualities, they still want that efficacious product. Um, and we're seeing that hand sanitizer used in, in so many different ways, not just for the hands. So I think, yeah, clean beauty will become an all-encompassing movement that just associates itself with good health. And Miriam? Healthy skin, uh, healthy skin and uh, healthy minds, I would say. People who are happy about uh, what their routine and uh, not just a skincare routine, but also um, act physical activity routines. Um, I think COVID was an opportunity for everyone to um, reconsider their general health. And so uh, for being able to find these products online on different platforms or directly to their favorite uh, brand website um having the information available having the ingredients available having the time to read about it uh has i believe has revolutionized um all these personal care products uh and um and i believe this will continue because one of the um, worries that um the industry is facing is that uh, testers now are banned. So if you can't test the product when you go into the shop, the only way you can actually select a product is to be able to read the, the, the packaging, what is the information uh, presented on the packaging, have some advice maybe from the, the person in the shop and uh, and be able to, to ask the right questions and so know about these questions. And so we just mentioned the, uh, one of the main uh, conversation uh, happening here in Europe um, about uh, the most difficult ingredients that uh, consumers have to deal with is the endocrine disruptors. And um, 
and there's a lot of questions and not yet uh, something clear in place. And um, one of the reasons being is that there's no good method to evaluate the impact of these very small molecules that are even present in, in nature uh, on your, on your um, endocrine uh, receptors. And so uh, all this is being investigated. And, um, and I think as we know of this problem, the industry should actually help and invest uh, uh, in getting uh, the methodology in place. So at the policy level, at the European level, at the regulatory level, we can uh, have a, a, a policy that is clear, a regulation that is clear and that everybody can follow. So um, that's my uh, opinion about uh, clean and uh, it will, it's evolving and it will continue evolving and there will always be new topics that will be, um, and new ingredients that will be scrutinized and by the consumer. I think it's very important that this is happening. Let's talk a little bit about uh, changing retail landscape. Um, we've touched upon how Mastige and drug store and um, health food health food store brands are doing well because you know they're pretty much the only choice um, for those who want to go to physical retail. Um, and and despite the opening, obviously the the way that we sell beauty is going to change because it's going to change to a, a zero touch environment. Um, then, of course, there's the huge rise of digital. Um, do you think that as many clean beauty brands are um, by their nature indie owned and digitally native, does that make them ideally place to meet this demand, especially as um, Miriam was just saying that uh, people have more time to read and, and that that is becoming their primary way of, of distinguishing between products? Tina, do you want to start us off? We inherently were mostly a D2C brand. That's how we launched. Um, when we launched in um, March of 2018, we really, it was a soft launch and we really spent a lot of time because we were innovating on so many different levels. You know, we were not just clean in terms of our, you know, products, but also conscious in terms of our impact on the planet as the world's first zero waste organic skincare brand. So um, for us, we knew that, I mean, when we launched, we were so ahead of the marketplace, right? And it took a lot of education. People were like, what does upcycling mean? I don't want to put food waste on my skin or why don't you have water? Water is good for the skin. Like there was just so much education. So it actually worked against us because direct consumer brands for the most part are like, people make a, a decision, they come to your site, they're there for like five seconds and they you know, bounce if, if something doesn't resonate, right? I do think this, that people in the last five months have had more time, they're at home, they're not in their office. So they're not worrying about, you know, their boss looking over their shoulders, they're doing their, their shopping and um, they are spending time to really look in the details. I think it's very important um, that if you are making claims right now that they're not puffery and you're not greenwashing because people will call you out. They have time now to, to dig into the details. And we've had very long conversations with customers, for example, about why do you use um, plastic caps when you're zero waste? And we're like, because we did the research. And unless you're using 100% recycled aluminum, 
the mining of aluminum is way worse than recycled plastic that can be reused and re refilled in bottles. And people love that. They love that you're having real conversations and you're talking about the issues in detail. So I think that if you are concentrating now as a clean brand on direct-to-consumer, um, you really need to be ready to talk to your consumer on every platform about the minutia of what you stand for. And if you, if you don't have that buttoned up, you have to be really careful because people now have the time. They're doing their research on multiple platforms. And on the other side, it's an incredible opportunity. And that's what in-store retail used to be about, right? We used to use the, the people working in-store to do that education. So you just now have to look at your own platform and really understand how am I using that, you know, to inform. Amitit? Definitely online sales have increased. Um, I remember reading about Amazon. They've had a record year of sales. They, well, they're heading for a rec record year of sales. And it's not just them. Other retailers um, with online wings, I remember reading online arms like uh, Target, Walmart, et cetera, they've reported very large increases and also independent online retailers. So I think we've seen a big shift happen in the last few months where consumers have gone to online who normally would not. I remember reading about this that we've seen the biggest increase in over 65s going to online shopping. So it's really opened up the market to, I would say, a bigger market. Originally, it was the millennials generation X who were most keen to go online. Now it's all segments of the population. So, um, so that's the trend for online, but indie brands and clean beauty brands have all benefited because a lot of these brands, they traditionally can't get the physical listings, especially in the big retailers. And a lot of them typically start off with online where they go to online retailers, um, say specific retailers, which focus on natural indie brands. And that's really helped them quite a lot. And the good news is this shift is not expected to decrease because all these new consumers that have shifted to online for the first time, they're not going to go back to physical purchases. They may do some physical purchases, but they will keep going online because once they build a, once they build a rapport or relationship with the brands and with the online retailers, then they'll keep going back. So I think it's been a very positive development and the way it's been described is has been described as an acceleration of the trend towards online retailing the last few months. Dominica? Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. Like obviously, you know, we're an indie brand, um, have always had a strong D2C, but um at the same time, you know, with skincare, there is an element of of touch, feel, try that um a physical retail space is important for. I think the retailers that are definitely winning um in this environment and will continue um are the multi-channel retailers. So the ones that sell, you know, a, a myriad of, of consumer goods, because I think when people do return to physical, um, that kind of like lazy shopping of jotting from store to store is probably going to be less appealing rather than just being able to drive up and get, you know, everything you need from one location. Um, so I think those retailers in a bricks and mortar environment are going to really win. And I think the Sephora and Alters of the world might struggle a little bit because they're so reliant on that kind of in-store experience, that touch feel, and they're so specific to beauty. Um, so I think it will be really interesting to see, but I, I don't think that bricks and mortar is dead and retail um, will move 100% online. I think there's always a place 
for, for the both and retail was struggling far beyond or far, far earlier than um, COVID-19 hitting. So I think generally retail needed um, a shake-up and a different approach regardless of um, how comfortable people now feel shopping in store. Um, but, you know, we've just opened stores here in the UK and, you know, I can see, you know, you see those queues for Primark, you know, people like to shop in store. Um, it's just about retailers delivering that experience and now delivering it in a safe way as well. Um, but definitely, you know, the online space is an opportunity for much smaller brands to be able to have a sales channel, um, to be able to share information. And I think um, in the absence of testers and that touch and feel trying in bricks and mortar, online reviews will be as important um, you know, and kind of replace that primary um, barrier to entry or barrier to purchase. Um, so as soon as someone sees a product, they'll be straight on their phones looking at reviews because they suddenly can't pick it up, smell it, try it. So I think um, for any brand that um, still has an omni-channel approach um, and, and even a, a solely digital one, focusing on gathering reviews is of the utmost importance um, because that is the second tier of validation for a consumer um, to know that yeah, other people have tried it and really liked it. Um, and similarly, you know, from experience, we know things like influencers, peer-to-peer um, -peer recommendations, again, are huge purchasing drivers. So continuing to focus on those schemes in a digital environment and then how they can translate into a bricks and mortar environment as well. Because bricks and mortar um, is not dead and it's more than ever, I think the pandemic has shown it's more than ever important to have an omni-channel strategy from a distribution point of view because if you don't, things can really quickly change and suddenly your distribution is shut down. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with online. Um, obviously, bricks and mortar, we can see that overnight your whole channel can shut down. So I think de-risking that, um, you know, possibility of your business being reliant on one steady stream, um, you know, Amazon again, I wouldn't want to have my whole business reliant on Amazon. Amazon, you know, is notorious for bringing out own brand products that are um, based on best-selling products of, you know. So that there's just, a, I think, an omni-channel strategy that needs to be um, continued. And yeah, you know, without the ability to test products, you know, the online experience becomes really relevant. And Miriam? Uh, I just mentioned it before. Uh, yeah, I believe that uh, this is really what will happen is um, having um, available information um, regarding the products, regarding the, the work behind the product, um, the performance of the product uh, will be helpful uh, as um, experience on in shops will be reduced. Um, and uh, and yeah, shops visits uh, will also will be re reduced due to these these few months of of lockdown that actually showed that uh, there was an alternative option um, available. And Tina, I agree with uh, Dominica and Miriam that I don't think that retail is dead. I think retail is being pushed to um, find a new way of being. And we, none of us know what that looks like because we don't know, you know, how long we're going to live with this threat of COVID and does it come back? Does it come back stronger? Is it mutating? Will there be a vaccine? 
And that impacts so many aspects of the in-store experience, right? It, it, it impacts how you test and you interact with brands. I and mean, you think about all of the cosmetic brands that, you know, their whole in-store experience is about doing a makeover. You know, I mean, that sort of like goes away. Um, does that become all digital in-store? But then you're losing some of that human connection. And I think people, again, I want to stress, I think right now people are really craving human connection. And Dominique, when you said like the, the crowd outside of Primark, I'm thinking, yeah, they're just so anxious to be around people and be in an experience, not just voyeurism, right? Like everything is, you know, yeah. Uh, online is is a little bit removed even a zoom call like i've had so many people say i don't want to get on another zoom call i don't want to do a cocktail party on a zoom call in the beginning it felt great it was like i'm not alone in my house i can like right so i think we're really craving that and how retail responds but also how online responds you know i was approached the other day by a very interesting retail concept which is um, a virtual store, but their whole concept is around workshops and education and interaction. And I was like, that's kind of interesting, right? Like, how do we come together in new ways? Um, and I think it really is going to take a partnership, and I really encourage it between retailers and brands, because brands may have ideas. I don't think, I, I don't think any of us alone has the, the solution. I think we really have just the same way in sustainability. I really, I look at it, look at my competition and say, it's, it's an opportunity for us to work together. You know, maybe the power of us buying together is better than us trying to buy alone. So I really encourage this time for us to all come together and, and help each other figure it out and find a way forward. Which brings us neatly to what does the future hold for clean beauty? Do you, how do you think the trend is going to stay relevant in a post-COVID world? Um, Marion, the floor is yours. Yes, definitely. Uh, because it's a trend that has evolved since the beginning and it will continue evolving. And its evolution is always to answer the consumer's uh, requests or worries or demands. So uh, we are very much listening to listening to the consumer, what the consumer wants, bringing more transparency, more clarity, more, more translation from you know the complex names of chemical ingredients and uh, but even natural ingredients have a complex name uh, and uh, and and we are there for them. So we are doing this for the consumer. And um, and with the consumer, so that's what I, I think uh, will prevail, uh, and uh, this trend will evolve. And but the core values of the trend, which is a product that is safe, that's the very first one, uh, will be preserved and will be um, hopefully even increased or highlighted, or um, will will keep the focus of of the trend. Dominica. The clean beauty trend is definitely not going away. Um, I think it will, you know, as we've said, continue to evolve in its definition um, and what it means to consumers. But I think because clean beauty, um, just by its kind of like very nature, means health, 
or is intended to mean health, I think it will stay relevant um, for many years to come. I think the implications of the global pandemic will be deep rooted within social habits for a very long time. So I think that because of that, the, the movement will continue to stay relevant um, despite you know possible evolutions. But I think it's a good place to be in the market. You know, we are a natural clean sustainable affordable skincare brand and i'm pretty happy that we're there rather than <laughs> somewhere else so um yeah it's i think it's just a further validation of um what we're doing is the right thing um and for us it's just you know being mindful of our consumers understanding what they want um and delivering it in an accessible way whether that's through price whether that's through messaging whether that's through distribution um you know ultimately consumers still want to buy products and it's our job to make that um as accessible as possible tina i would say that clean beauty um was always relevant i think that again if you look back through history we're just going back to our roots right we're just unbottling beauty and stripping away everything that wasn't necessary whether it was single-use plastic or chemical synthetics as filler fillers and texturizers and you know fragrances and things like that, where we're really just going back to what we always knew across civilizations and cultures. And um, so absolutely, I think it's relevant. I think it always was relevant. I think we lost our way for a while. And I think just the way big pharma took over the medical industry, I think that, you know, um, a lot of chemical suppliers sort of took over the beauty industry and, um, and, you know, by the way, I watched that firsthand, you know, I worked in big beauty, I worked for some of the biggest corporations globally, and I saw a lot of, you know, handshakes, you know, in the back room and brokering of deals and getting cuts because you chose that supplier over this supplier, but it wasn't actually as good a, a version of the ingredient. Um, so I just think that, um, you know, we're in a massive consciousness shift right now and as, as, as a world. And I think we, I think COVID gave us a moment as much travesty and horrible impact it's had and deaths. And I think it's given us a moment to pause and to evaluate. And if you look at the movement in the US of Black Lives Matter, I mean, I think the fact that all of a sudden people had time to say enough is enough, like, and we're going to protest, you know? So I think we're doing that about our health and wellness. And I applaud it. And I hope, um, I hope it continues. And I hope that all of us on this um, podcast work together to make that change. I'm open to doing anything with any of you, you know, I think together we're stronger. And Amajit? I like what Tina said. And um, for me, this is um, a part of, an, it's, it's an evolution. Um, clean beauty, it's starting off with better for you, better for your health. But what we're finding is this better for the planet. And what we tend to find is this whole trend that we're, we're covering this in our Sustainable Cosmetic Summit is, it starts off with personal health, then it's better for the environment. But what we're now going to see as a result of COVID is better for fellow humans. I think the social aspect of sustainability is going to become a lot more pronounced because what we've seen in the last few months is the problems of social inequality. 
And here in the UK, we're seeing more ethnic minorities being affected by the uh, COVID, by the crisis. Black Lives Matter was partly, well, I know it's, um, they're promoting, you know, um, the rights of black people, that they have the right not to be um, marginalized, etc. But the black community has been far more adversely affected in the USA as well by COVID-19. So what we expect to see in terms of sustainability is sustainable is no longer going to be just the environmental issues, the social issues. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see is more and more brands trying to reach out and trying to uh, resolve some of the social issues in society, either in terms of how they're sourcing the ingredients, how they're producing them, having more regional supply chains, creating more of a local labor force, but also in terms of how they're hiring people and having less discrimination. So for what we expect to see as a result of COVID-19 is that social issues are going to become more prominent. And it's not just going to be a discussion about environmental issues and human health, but what can we do for fellow humans? to make sure that we've got a fairer and more equitable society. So that's how we would like this clean beauty trend to evolve and hopefully we'll move in that direction. Here's hoping, that would be amazing. I'd like to thank all of you for taking part today. Thank you, Amajit, Dominica, Mary and Tina, and thank you to our audience for listening. Until next time. Mm -hmm.